This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Nothing worthwhile is ever easy. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad. This is episode 91, and I am your host, Ben Colloy. Today's guest is... Snye Snodgrass. He has a long resume of accomplishments, ranging from being a husband, a father to three, which makes him a perfect candidate for this podcast, a Top Gun instructor, and also a few other background interesting things, director of communications and speech chief speechwriter to Secretary of Defense James Mattis. He's appeared on CNN, Fox News, and BBC World News. And he has a new book that just launched Top Gun's Top 10 Leadership Lessons from the Cockpit, Guys, this episode is Mach 3 because we bring so much different value and conversations. He has a long military career, one where family was always a part of it, talking about the heartache of coming home, the realities of being a military dad, but not just a military dad, being a Navy dad, because as we talk in this episode, being gone is really, you're just gone, and that's the norm when you're a Navy dad. So this episode, I know, is going to cut through a lot of the BS And hopefully, as I talk about in the podcast, if you are a military dad struggling to come home and you're on that struggle bus to come back from deployments, this episode will definitely cut through some of that and give some really impactful advice to help you get through that. So without further ado, let's get started with Guy Snodgrass, and I will talk to you on the other side. Welcome to the podcast, Guy. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about your background. You are not a regular guy. You have a pretty cool place where you come from. Yeah, yeah, I've been uh, the benefactor of a lot of really great people who've mentored me along the way. And as I'm sure we can both attest, a lot of times your success in life is based on who you know, do they do they help you out along your path? And so I've been the benefactor of that. But yeah, I grew up in uh, Dallas-Fort Worth, North Texas, spent the entirety of my career, at least to this point, as a U.S. Navy fighter pilot. So that meant that everything from going to the U.S. Naval Academy, got a really great opportunity to go straight to grad school afterwards. So I went up to MIT for that. So again, the military really opens a lot of cool doors. And then I got right into my pilot training, became an FA-18 Super Hornet pilot. So flying fighter jets for the U.S. Navy off of aircraft carriers deployed overseas. And that meant that I was stationed everywhere from Virginia Beach, participated in Operation Iraqi Freedom, stationed twice in Japan, first as a department head and the second time as a commanding officer. And then also had a chance to be a Top Gun instructor, which was an absolute blast. Learned a ton. Uh, and that led into the book that I've got coming out called Top Gun's Top 10, which I'm really excited about because it's all about leadership. And I also had th- these really interesting kind of offshoot opportunities. I, I had a chance to work on nuclear weapon design at the Los Alamos National Labs in New Mexico. 
uh, had a chance to be the speechwriter for the head of the U.S. Navy, and then kind of at the tail end of my military career was the chief speechwriter and director of communications for Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis and the Pentagon. So I got a chance to work with uh, President Trump with the team there. So yeah, I mean, it's, it was an amazing career for 20 plus years. Had a blast, had a great time, not only just as a careerist, but as a father and husband. Before we go backwards, I got to ask a question. How did you decide what you want to do when you grew up when you left the military? Because you've easily, I could tell you fell in love with probably all of those things. And like myself, when I learn new things, I'm always like, how are you supposed to figure out what you want to do when you grow up when you fall in love with everything that you do? Uh, yeah, it's a just a perennial problem. And and you're right. My transition from the military was frankly not planned. I had kind of everything charted out and it's kind of easy to do in the military because it's a fairly static career path. And suddenly it took a zig where I expected a zag and it was not compatible with my family. So I decided to step out of uniform. And so it's funny because I think the outside perspective is, hey, this is great. You've got your second book being published. You you're running a consulting firm. You must be firing on all cylinders. And I'd say, yeah, I mean, it, I'm doing a lot of cool stuff, but uh, I'll be honest, nothing's really met the same level of emotion and passion as having served in the U.S. military did, mainly because of the team aspect and the fact that it was just, you know, it's an altruistic pursuit. You knew you were doing something that was benefiting the country. And I always love that aspect of it. So you sound like a person that has a really solid identity and understanding of who they are and with who they are without the uniform and with the uniform. Who were you before you put the uniform on? Yeah, I think I was, frankly, an average American kid. Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, grew up in North Texas. I had a dad who, at the time, I chafed against it, right? I was very frustrated because he was always trying to get me out of the house. You know, if you could have, if I could have stayed indoors and played my Atari or my ColecoVision and, or surfed, you know, I guess at the time it was bulletin board systems, uh, much like any teenager today, you know, like I would have just done that all the time. But he was adamant that I get involved with the community, that I, I get involved with sports at school, that I, that I joined the Boy Scout troop, which I did. And it opened up a lot of these really great broadening experiences, Boy Scouts in particular, because, you know, one weekend you might be going to the operations center for Burlington Northern Santa Fe train company, right? And you're learning something completely different and new. And then two weekends later, you're at Alliance Airport where they're doing an air show and you're watching fighter jets go overhead. And so, it was just a really neat way to, to start a broadening opportunity. But I would tell you that all that being said, other than the opportunities I had, just involved in the community, which was fun, but frankly, an average kid, average grades, average at sports, nothing really stood out, maybe other than a little bit of leadership. But frankly, I was really shy. And that was something that I, that I didn't come into my own until I joined the military and went through kind of the training process. There's something I want to highlight for other dads out there because your dad did it, even though you didn't like it. It's something that I've witnessed and seen with other military dads who've had in the podcast. My kids are a little bit young, but I have the goal and I'm already kind of opening their doors a little bit. But as fathers and especially military dads, this is one of the things that we have such an amazing ability because we've seen and experienced so much life. Kids need to get outside of their life in order to figure out how they fit into it. And that's what your dad kind of knew. I don't know whether he knew what he was doing when he did it other than he just felt like it was the right thing. But exposing your kids to new environments gives them a wider view of the American dream, that there's not just this one path of 12 years in school, that there's not just you pick this one piece of paper to get after four years, and then you get married and you have all this path, and then you're on the same path for years and years, and you never realize that there is even an alternative path in front of you. And I think that's one of the biggest things that most kids don't have these days is they just don't even have a view of what's out there. Like I want to, it's going to be a little hard with COVID, but I hope the world goes back open international where I'd love to take my kids internationally and just expose them to all the different ways that people smile 
and call themselves happy in ways that Americans don't even take time to understand. Yeah. And, and so much of success in life, and I mean true success, I'm not talking about making lots of money or you know, achieving some arbitrarily high level in a company. I'm talking about success requires perception and perspective. And the fact that, like you mentioned, I, li- I like what you just said there about traveling internationally. I never did that as a kid. My father made a lot of great opportunities to be an outdoorsman. I grew up spending a lot of my weekends on a farm. So, I mean, just a lot of these opportunities to kind of come to the realization that, uh, in fact, one of my leadership axioms was never, uh, nothing worthwhile is ever easy, right? I mean, it takes hard work, it takes dedication, and it's very easy in today's automatic success culture with YouTube and influencers to think that, okay, I'm just going to do these crazy things and I'm going to be an automatic success. No, I mean, it takes a lot of hard work and dedication. But what you just said, I mean, the military for me was great as well because we lived abroad. I mean, I had two tours of duty stationed in Japan. We toured the Indo-Pacific. I served in the Middle East, toured through Europe as a military member. You get a, you get a chance, like you said, to, to really truly accommodate differences of opinion backgrounds other than your own. And I think that's another side benefit, right? If you're a dad and you are doing the right things for your children, you're finding those opportunities to get them out of the house, expose them to the breadth of the American culture and and all the goodness that comes along with it. And what you're also hinting at there is adding depth that most Americans have very little depth to their opinions. They just adopt whatever the news told them to believe, and they never ask why. They never correlate their own opinions or even understand the history of how we got there. And only 7% of the population is veterans. And this is why I get so excited for military dads, because we have such a rich life in depth, understanding, appreciation, just everything that goes with a military life. And if we can help gift even just a little bit to that to our kids, the ability to understand how they fit into the world. Where, where's, where do their natural gifts, like this is really where you can create an amazing adult that goes out of the world and can help change it because you spent your time helping them understand how they fit into it, not helping them make sure that how they, the world's model and how they can just adapt to it and, and blend in, which isn't what kids need. They need to be able to understand. Like that's why midlife crisis has happened is because kids never got fully booted up to fully understand what their heart was calling them to do. They just get hooked on the default American dream, which is debt, credit cards, and Disney vacations, which none of that actually leads to happiness in the way that you want it. Oh, I agree. I mean, and I like what you said there about it being a default path. And that's the dangers. If you don't create those broadening experiences, then you just kind of go with what you know. I mean, we all live within our experience and our in our comfort zone. And so it's, that's one of our roles as a father to help break outside the comfort zone. And that also not only gives you greater experiences and and perspective, but it also teaches your children the importance of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. The fact that you put yourself in new situations, you create opportunities and it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, but through hard work, dedication, relentless pursuit of excellence, you're going to come out the other side stronger and with you know, a wider network, better friends or new friends, new perspectives. There's there's so much that, that we have to be involved with to help make that happen. I didn't hear about your kids. How old are your kids? So I've got three. I've got two boys and a girl. The oldest is Ryan. He's 13. I've got a middle who's uh, 11. And my youngest, the daughter, is about to turn nine. So you know what else you have, and especially with the depth and the understanding and all the different varieties of things that you've experienced stories are one of the best vehicles for us as fathers to lead our kids. And it's not one of those where you're telling them what to do. All you're doing is revealing in in detail who you are and how you lived your life. 
And when we use our own stories, our own experiences to help our kids understand an emotion, maybe a feeling on the playground, because my oldest is eight. So a lot of my issues are just playground issues or just girls being mean to each other. And I'll use my own stories of the military to help them understand like, yeah, there was a time where dad felt a similar way. And it's that little bit of vulnerability. It's that little bit where you create trust that I'm, your son's being older as teenagers are starting to get into the case where you really hope as a dad, they bring you the heavy things. But something I've learned as I've been talking to my kids and having this podcast is if you're not there for the small things, they won't bring the big things. So it's often you have to create that intimacy and trust far before something heavy comes into their life when they're 16 or 17 or when there's someone asks them to drug or offers them a beer. All of that stuff is pretty heavy stuff, but you got to build that trust in the beginning and revealing your life in a safe way to them. Like that helps them understand who you are as well. Like if something did happen to you, like the worst thing that could happen is them not having a real foundation of who dad was and how he lived his life. Because there's been a couple of dads that are wives that I've interviewed where the husband has died. And in many cases, the dad did it beautifully. He left a playbook of how to live his life or how to them to live their life in a way that dad did. So one of the ways was he always did everything that was on his bucket list. Like he PCS from Hawaii or from the stateside Hawaii on a sailboat leaving Los Angeles. And he sailboat or I was on a sailboat with five guys all the way to Hawaii because he just wanted to do it. And so like, that's how he lived his life. And he passed away during a scuba diving accident. And I was talking to her and it was brilliant because if his if kids ever, and the kids were super young, like six, four and like six months old. And if the kids ever want to understand what would dad do, all they have to do is go back into the stories and live life like dad. But if you don't ever reveal yourself. The kids never really know. And you've got such a rich life. Like if you have been able to open up yourself to being a top gun, like what does it mean? What life lessons do you learn traveling at Mach 3? I can imagine there's quite a bit of Mach lessons that you learn traveling at Mach 3. And those are just cool stories for your kids to get excited about that. Like it just ignites them, their passion and excitement for that your daughter will always look up to you even more and you'll, she'll fall in love with you more and your kids will look up to you even more as a hero growing through life as well. Yeah. And I think that it's not always easy depending on what kind of job you have, but the more you, the, you know, the more time you can spend repping your family into your career, it's, it's mutually beneficial. So one of the things I loved, I mean, if you think about my military career, I did a little bit over 20 years. My wife and I did it 17 years together. My oldest son was born when I was a Top Gun instructor. My uh, second child was born when we were stationed overseas in Japan. He was born during a typhoon. And then my daughter was born in Newport, Rhode Island when I was attending the U.S. Naval War College. So not only were they born in these geographically dispersed areas, so that alone is pretty pretty cool just to have that kind of background, but being able to to work with dad, you know, what to go to the squadron when you would fly the airplanes off to the aircraft carrier or when we'd all come and do a fly-in, right? And so they're part of that experience. They're part of that excitement. And and it's great too, because it kind of forces those conversations such as, hey, dad, when you get into your airplane and you disappear for six months, what are you doing? And so you can walk them through, much like you said, with storytelling, uh, some of the, the fun stories of being on deployment, but also the fact that, look, there's, there's people out there that would seek to, you know, hurt our families, hurt our country. And that's why, you know, dad protects and helps, you know, defend America while wearing a uniform. And so I think, you know, it doesn't have to be specific to the military by any stretch, but anytime you can kind of get your kids excited about what you're doing, and then that's your, your foundation, which is real strong. And then you can kind of branch out from there into new experiences is certainly doing them a service. Did that, I don't know whether this is fully true, but don't the families get to go aboard a ship before it leaves port in some cases? 
You know, they, they have something called a tiger cruise and tiger periodically, cruise, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Periodically what'll happen is at the very end of deployment, you will gather all the families together, at least as many that are interested and you'll bring them onto the aircraft carrier. So say for example, if you're coming back from the Pacific, Indo-Pacific, uh, they're passing Hawaii. The families will get on the carrier in Hawaii and they'll ride the boat back to San Diego, which is pretty cool. Uh, unfortunately, during my career, we never had a single Tiger cruise. My wife did, though, when I was commanding officer for a fighter squadron. She get, was given an opportunity with some other military wives to get on board what they call a uh, C-2. It's one of those fairly large cargo planes, but it's unique in that it launches from and, and lands on the aircraft carrier. So she got a chance to actually take a trap, as they call it, land on a aircraft carrier and catch the wire. And then she also got a chance to spend two nights on board the aircraft carrier, see how operations work. And then she got back on and got a catapult launch off the aircraft carrier and returned back to shore. So again, I mean, just, it wasn't one of my kids in that case, but still for, for a military spouse to have that opportunity was really neat. That would be, I can imagine one thing as we were talking about telling stories, I think my son, who's six years old, he just, he asked how everything works, like the windows, you name it. He asked the question about it. I think he would be so fascinated with the big, massive elevator that moves the planes up and down out of the cargo hold in the, in the aircraft carrier. Because you could just be like, you could just extraordinarily extra exaggerate it in the storytelling method. And he would just think of this big, huge idea. Like, you know, we ride a small little elevator in the doctor's office or something. Imagine a massive one that can move an aircraft up and down into the, the top of the deck. Like that would be in a story that I would love telling. Oh yeah. And it's the funny thing about that particular example is that adults get just as excited when we would pull into foreign ports. One of the big treats, you know, maybe you pull into Hong Kong, maybe you pull into Singapore, you have the dignitaries come on board. The captain of the ship gives some speeches. The admiral gives some speeches. And then one of the treats is to say, Hey, we've got some aircraft on the flight deck. Let's take you up there. And so that's how you get there is to load a bunch of people onto the aircraft elevator and you got the, the horns going off, you know, the warning sirens and the whole elevator moves. And you're also surprised by how fast it moves. So it brings you up to the flight deck, but it's still a cool treat and everyone's grinning from ear to ear. Yeah, I can imagine that's a cool story. So we've talked about a lot of the positives, but I can imagine over that career, there was a lot of heartache, whether it be dealing with something that your wife maybe called you up when you were miles and thousands of miles away with something that was going on at home and you weren't able to be there, or whether it be something that your kids were going through and you weren't able to be there to help just shepherd them through or just be there as a dad. So what were the, some of the challenges that you struggled with having a military career like you have? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think the the first one is the obvious, which is, especially in the US Navy, uh, when you're deployed, you're gone. So if you're deployed for seven, eight months, you're physically absent from your family for that entire period of time. So that's difficult because, of course, you're not there to directly support your spouse. You're not there to directly you know, uh, inform your kids, help them, support them, do homework, et cetera. Um, and of course, a lot of those questions come up, like you mentioned, of things that are happening in their lives during that time. So, uh, you know, you, you find ways, even on an aircraft carrier, you can find a way through email or through phone to maintain contact. But yeah, we had those circumstances. I was, I'll never forget, I was on a, a training deployment to Okinawa uh, Air Base, which is actually on the island of Okinawa off of Japan. And that's when my wife gave me a call to say, hey, surprise, I'm pregnant, you know, third kid on the way. And so, you know, those are those major life moments where you, you're not able to be together, but you know, you still share the experience. I would say the, 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 where it really came to a head was definitely the challenge when your children are younger as a parent and you could be in the military, you could be in a, like a corporate job, right? Where a lot of times corporations want to move you around the country. They want you to see the different aspects of the company as you're growing within it. And so that can cause some instability. But when your kids are young, they're very resilient. 
And what we found is that our oldest had had done very well with the moves and being overseas. I mean, it was a great experience up until the point he hit around 10 years of age, maybe 11. And we had moved back from Japan. We had just returned to Norfolk, Virginia, and he was making great friends, et cetera. Long story short, that's when I got the phone call from Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis to come work for him in the Pentagon as part of the Trump administration. And so three months after moving from halfway around the world, dad's going away again to go up to DC so they could finish out their semester. So one, you had three months of family separation. And then at the end of that six month total period, then we moved the family yet again to Washington, DC. And that was the first time I'd really seen uh, our oldest kind of withdraw inside of himself because he'd made such close friends, had a great neighborhood, had a great school. And then to uproot twice within six months was really incredibly challenging. And that informed our decision ultimately to, to decide to retire because I'd been offered a pathway to command what they call a nuclear powered aircraft carrier, right? So, I mean, it's one of America's capital ships, an amazing course, honored to be selected for it. But when I looked at my wife and said, what do you think, honey? And she's like, yeah, look, we've, we've been, you know, as they say, road hard, put up wet for a long period of time. Kids are starting to show it. So you kind of got to make the decision. Do you want to pursue your military career and become an admiral? Or do you want to pursue being a dad and a husband and, and actually able to watch your kids grow up? And I talked to so many other uh, military dads who had watched this process and who had made the decision we to stay. yes. And who said, yeah, so they say stayed in the road of Admiral. Yeah. Yeah. I went down the road of general and Admiral. And, and I've had multiple when I was weighing my decision who were very, very honest with me, which I appreciated saying they still doubted their decision because, you know, they saw a kid maybe fall into a really bad depression. Another kid had had a really severe drug problem uh, because dad's just always gone. And when you start hitting those really pivotal middle school, high school years, you know, those are formative years. And so anyway, uh, you know, yeah, there's always challenges, but I think again, that's the strength of a family is is also demonstrating to your kids that you can pull together as a couple, you can pull together as a parent, and uh, and everyone can move forward together and be successful, no matter where you find yourself. So there's probably a moment that's very recent for you that I want to dive into. So the mission of the podcast is to bring every dad home, and you were home throughout your life being a dad, but it sounds like in the end is really when you physically came home. What was it like coming back home fully emotionally to your family who had gotten used to an on and off dad and who had built up this kind of just this persona that dad's not always here? I can imagine it wasn't something that you put on a billboard of rainbows and unicorns, that there's probably a lot of highs and lows, maybe a lot of even resistance. Like, dad, you weren't here for something that happened. Like, how can you, how dare you try to come help me on this because you weren't here for two weeks ago? How did you get through that? I can imagine that emotion was very strong and the guilt was probably married right next to it as well. Yeah. I, you know, it was interesting. It was much tougher with my wife than it was my kids. My kids had, were very resilient. So it was one of those things where it was kind of like um, the downside is, is that your kids almost became, my kids almost became almost transactional. It's like, dad's here. Great. Dad's gone. Okay. Um, and it was just all they'd known their entire life. So it wasn't really that much of a change for them. So it was a change when dad's suddenly around all the time, but they largely saw it as a benefit. And it was funny because they actually started going. So if, if I was home for two months, for example, and I said, Hey, dad's got to take a work trip. I'm going to be gone for two days. They'd kind of lose it because they had these memories of dad going away for months. And I'm like, no, no, no it's okay. It's just two days. Um, where it became really tough though, was, was reintegrating with my wife because she was used to having to be dual hatted. You know, dad's home, okay, kind of the family shifts, dad's taking over once again as like a leadership role or splitting those duties with with my wife, with Sarah. 
Um, and then dad would disappear until she's the one who has to run the whole household, take care of schooling, take care of shopping, everything. So that's where it's interesting because you get into that battle rhythm and then suddenly you step out of it. And now you you realize, hey, the kids are pretty resilient, but as adults, it's tough for us to reintegrate. And then you had the one-two punch of after the first year of me being retired, now suddenly we're in coronavirus, so I'm here all the time. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it's it's good though. I mean, obviously that's, you know, you have to go back to those fundamental principles. I came from a from a family that had experienced multiple divorces. My My mom and dad divorced when I was around 12, 13. My mom had a subsequent divorces after that. So it's one of those things where, you know, I'd experienced, as I say, a broken home and, you know, and so had Sarah. And so she was a, was a child of divorce too. And so we were just very, we've always remained committed to just working through issues, staying together, making it happen. And, and I think that that's the bedrock, like we've already been talking about, you know, there's just these bedrock fundamental principles that you have to use as your North star and you just always keep it pointed in that direction. It sounds like you were both probably mission oriented as well. Like she understood her mission, you understood your mission. Was it hard to kind of craft a dual mission when you came home? Like you had to find a, I've heard it described like when a dad comes home or even when I used to come home from work, I would try to just pick up something and try to be helpful. And I've heard it described like, imagine you being in your office doing your thing. And then someone random person just comes in and starts organizing your desk to try to be helpful. Like that's often how your wife feels when you just step into some random nonsense in her, in her business, because running the house is her business without ever communicating, without ever standing where like, where does she really need you getting on the same page? Like my favorite question that took me almost 10 years to really figure out how to use it properly was how can I support you when I walk in the door? Like, tell me where I need to go versus trying to just be me and figure out how to be helpful when it's really not helpful. Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. And you're right because perspectives change. So meaning Sarah, like you said, it's, it's very much like you just described it. Uh, I walk into the kitchen, Hey, how can I help? And I start, you know, taking charge, if you will, shuffling things around, uh, you know, asking the kids for help and and her take many times would be like, whoa, I got this. It's okay. You know, like, uh, and it's interesting because that's where the perception can work against you. Like, you know, she's seeing it as, hey, you're intruding into kind of my workflow and the, the system that she has. You're telling well me I can't handle it. Well, yeah. And I think there's an element of that too, where what are you saying? I can't get this done myself. And of course, you know, much like you described it, I'm seeing it as, well, hey, I'm the husband. I'm around a lot more. I want to take part. I want to be a part of things. And so when she says, I got this. Thanks. You know, you almost take it like a little bit of a, uh, kind of off-putting like, Oh, you don't want me to be a part of this. And so again, that's where uh, communication is key, whether you're a leader or whether you're a husband, uh, you know, with a family, all those things have one common factor, which is communication is always key. And, you, and if you feel that way, maybe you just kind of pocket it and say, okay, yeah, you, you bet, sweetheart, I'm going to head off and do something else now. And then later that evening when the kids have gone to bed, just say, Hey, that was kind of weird. You know, like, you know, if you read that that way, how could I have done something differently to make it more acceptable? But those are all those little points of friction that people I've found have to work through, whether they're coming off of a deployment or they've been away from home for a significant period of time, or there's been a, a significant change in your lifestyle as a family. And even just having like getting past the business of running the house, even just rebuilding that intimacy can be hard because they're used to it having a light switch intimacy. And this time it's like it continued on, like it never goes off and trying to to rebuild that intimate connection, not even just sexual, but just rebuilding that connection of like you deeply love each other and you want to pursue a life together type connection. That in itself can be difficult under normal circumstances, even if it's your first deployment or it's uh, you just got back from Afghanistan. 
rebuilding that connection. And I haven't talked about it in a while, but something I coined maybe last fall on a podcast episode was building a bridge of empathy. Like, don't try to judge where each other are at because you both lived your each independent life. You were at your life. She was at your her life. And try to like build a bridge of understanding of like what was life like when each of you were doing your own thing. Because then when you build that bridge of empathy and understanding, like that allows you to like meet in the middle and go forward together versus like trying to yell across the the canyon at each other from wherever you are at. But that the empathy, like even the kids, I use the same example that I've learned through the podcast is like if you were gone for a heavy situation in high school and maybe that's your teenage years is when you were deployed, go to approach your kids and like deeply approach it with the idea of curiosity. Like what was life like when you were gone? Because life did happen and there were a hard times that you weren't even there for it, and maybe they're not even ready to tell you. But if you approach it with curiosity versus like trying, trying to tell them what to do or like getting upset because they're not listening, like approach it with curiosity allows you to build that empathy and that empathy allows you to build that trust. And then you can kind of both, again, in the, in the child situation, move forward together as well. Yeah, I, li- I like that. And, and, you know, something you've said several times now, which is so true is, and that cuts across the grain sometimes of a military career is where you sit there and go like, Hey, when you're on the, when you're on the job side as a military individual, especially if you're in a position of responsibility, you're in charge. So you're used to kind of like giving orders, uh, in the purest form. Hey, you go take this, do that. That doesn't work so well in your house. And that also doesn't work well once you transitioned out of uniform because, and I think that that's an interesting aspect. And that's why I like your, your highlighting empathy is because not only in my particular case, did I, come back into the family on a more permanent basis, meaning physically with the family, but at the same time that I was exploring a career change. And so that comes with its own time demand, stressors, et cetera. So I would tell you from a introspective position that, yeah, I, I, I don't think I've, I would score myself an A plus for reintegration because I immediately jumped into the next thing. And so instead of really reinvesting a lot of the necessary time into my wife and kids, you know, you're kind of sitting there going, okay, I need to find another job. I need to start a new career path. And and I need to do that to support the family. And I, it gets back to what you're saying earlier about just how perceptions can affect how we view things. Because in my mind, you know, that is uh, in our family, it's a fairly traditional family. So Sarah has had the, the opportunity to be a stay-at-home mom, especially during the military time. And so I see it as, okay, my job is to go out and kind of fight for the family, to, to find a good job, to be able to bring in the income so that we can all, uh, you know, get you successfully into college and beyond. And, uh, you know, but but there's also that emotional availability. And like you said, that, that making yourself emotionally available will lead to that empathetic connection. And what you also are speaking to that I, I kind of use this analogy is when you are a military dad and you deploy and you have any time away from your family, you have to treat it like a credit card of time. That the more you're away, the more you're borrowing. And when you're back, you got to play the time back with interest. Like they don't need your money. They don't need your solutions. They just need you. They need the time that you were away back to be there, to listen, to play Legos, to play trains, to play T-set, whatever it may be. That's what they need you to come back as. And like, that's the version that's going to rebuild the family structure. But then the part that most military dads don't recognize is as long as we're chasing the things that you were just talking about, we're actually not dealing with the feelings of guilt, regret, and all the other feelings that we're supposed to feel and get connected to our family. And the further we don't feel those, the more that our family's emotions scare us. And the more like if you have PTSD, oftentimes you push yourself away from your family because the emotions that they feel make you uneasy. And as long as you're pursuing trying to like get a job and provide for the family, 
you're never going to have to face the, the music and deal with those emotions that you've got to be able to get back there and reconnect. And so in January, I lost my job. And for the, since then, I've been a stay-at-home dad and focusing on building a stay-at-home dad life. Like, I don't want to get a job back. So I've been working on how to build a dadpreneur business. And the crazy part that I've learned in the last eight months is I've had so many more business ideas playing Legos and riding bikes and playing outside with my kids than I ever had just sitting at my desk. And that like the truth, the feelings, the ideas, the purpose, all of what you actually seek inside your heart is actually on the other side of the tunnel when you go through your family and just understand like when you're present and become more of your best self, like that will open up to more of what you want, what you desire, that pit of disappointment maybe that you feel at the job that you're at. Like it's not, you need a better job. Like you need to get reconnected with your family to get reconnected to who you are. And then that's when the juice comes to the surface and you can really like, oh my gosh, that's what I was supposed to do. Yeah. And, and in fact, I like that lesson. Uh, one of the chapters in my new book is called Don't Confuse Activity with Progress. And, I, and when you said that, that's kind of what hit my mind because sometimes in life when, we, when you strive for a traditional view of success, you know, that means, okay, we'll work harder, spend more time at your desk, uh, do more things because if you're doing more things and obviously that must result in better success. And so that's what I've been a big advocate for for a very long time is, hey, don't confuse activity with progress. You know, I mean, you can do far less. You know, in fact, talking about the impact of dads, my dad was like this, he had a really awesome command of history. He had been a history major before he became an attorney. And so it was one of those things where uh, he just was this interestingly deep thinker. And again, as a kid, you don't really respect it. Then you get older and you realize, wow, dad really was onto something. But he had this one saying, he said it all the time. It drove me nuts as a kid. And I love it now. And that was, you know, he's like, look, I mean, your most valuable resource in your life is your time because it's the one thing you can never get more of. And once you spin it, you can never get it back. So how are you going to spend your time? And like you said, I mean, spending time with your family, investing in your, in your children. Um, and not only are you doing that, but because you freed your mind, you're not driven into the stressful situation at work or at your desk. That's, when you suddenly come up with these great ideas, because you've given yourself the freedom to just relax and let your brain roam, you know? And, and so you're right. I think that's, that's when a lot of the best innovation hits is when you have given yourself the, uh, the hall pass to actually just relax. And, and suddenly you go, oh my gosh, Eureka, here it is. I'll take that time and I'll give you another little wisdom to it that I just learned myself when I had Brian Panuzzo. He's a he's not a veteran, but he is a Wall Street banker, a recovering Wall Street banker for 20, 15, 15 years recovering. And now he's out in LA being a dad health coach. And he learned something very early on in finance that a lot of people know about the inflation and the cost of compound interest. And like right now is the cheapest everything will be anything really, whether it be an object, whether it be your time, whether it be playing with your kids and every day, everything gets more expensive. So if you think of that time with your kids or had you become an admiral and come home maybe six years from now or eight years, the cost of trying to recover your relationship with your kids would be 10 times more expensive emotionally and just time-wise than it is right now. And that's what I never really had framed it that way that every decision when you say no, there is a cost. And for when you eventually decide to say yes, even if you think of weight, like it's easier to lose 10 pounds than 40 pounds when you finally decide that you need to go on a diet. It's a lot more work. It's a lot more expensive. All of that has a cost. And I never really correlated that to the the idea of saying no or yes, or even the time transaction that that time, this minute will cost more in the future. And you need to pay attention to it now while it's the lowest it's ever going to be. 
Yeah, that's a great point. And I also like the fact that um, one of the things that you've touched on, which is great, is because you interview such a wide variety of individuals that you're exposed to all these new ideas. And these, you know, and it's also cool to see that depending on what your background is, uh, a lot of the anecdotes, of course, mirror your experiences. So if, you, if you're a banker, you've got this great analogy with uh, sunk costs or with capital investments or inflation. And of course, with my background as a fighter pilot, you know, you tend to tie it into aviation themed uh, lessons and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, that's what's so neat because in this opportunity to talk with you, suddenly you're seeing across a whole wide variety of individuals and what has worked well for them. And so really all along the way, not only are you fostering a dialogue between fathers who want to have better relationships in their family to really raise outstanding children who are prepared for a lifetime of public service or an ability to be a, a really engaged citizen in, within America, uh, but also you're just kind of collecting all the best practices from a wide variety of folk. And and uh, who knows where that's going to lead you. I mean, it'd be great to see a book down the road, right? Where you sit there and say, look, I've interviewed hundreds of these dads. Here's what I learned. Because uh, because it, it's a really great resource for uh, for dads out there. It's one of the reasons I always tell people there's like two reasons to start a podcast or two primary ones. One, you are an expert and you got something to say and you're good at saying it and people can learn from you. Or you have a deep curiosity to learn something and then you just start an interview show. And even if no one listens, it's a selfish endeavor of you just getting to learn from all these people willing to trade an hour of their time to have a conversation. And you just get to add and over and over and over and it becomes compound interest that I'm up to episode 90 right now. Like that's 90 conversations that have just compounded and little tidbits. And like, it's amazing of how like I'll flash back to an, an episode that I recorded last April from just a little tidbit and it all kind of gets painted together. And I do agree. There probably is a book in my future at some point of all these little anecdotes and different things. And what you're also speaking to is just that perspective because what we hit in the beginning, the depth, the perspective, I, I grew up on a farm. My dad, we didn't go on vacation. He wasn't a hunter. He wasn't a fisher. We went on a vacation. We, we, we did go on a vacation here and there, but they were nothing like big. We did a trip to Colorado and Mount Rushmore. And in high school, we did finally do a trip to Disney World. But I remember we, do, we did one trip up northern Wisconsin just to see how the Amish farmed. Like we weren't that big of an outside people of where we got to see a whole bunch of life. The idea that I got stationed in Okinawa for three years is like the opposite of anything. And anybody in my family, my, the first person to have a passport, and like that view has made an impact on me forever being stationed in the Philippines. Like all of those, every memory you get just adds a perspective, adds a feeling. And this is why like every person matters because no one has seen the world through the lens that you've seen it through. And this is why if you get your kids to understand how they see the world is how they can fit into it. Like that's beautiful because that's what they need to be able to do. They need to be able to piece what they can see around them and be able to understand I think I can solve that problem there. Or I just heard it recently said that like in a world for problems, be the solution. Like the best way to be the solution is to keep expanding your world and understanding your ideas. And it's really cool. What are some of the anecdotes you got with the, with the air, air wing? Because uh, I'm, a, I'm not necessarily a fighter pilot nerd, but I'm definitely a commercial aviation nerd. So a lot of my... I love learning about airplane disasters and the life lessons. Like there are so many business lessons that people can learn from studying why airplanes crash. It's, it's incredible. And just in general, I love everything about aviation. So what are the, some of the things that you like talking about in aviation as well? Oh my gosh. Well, I mean, look, I, I agree with you. I think that one of the things that my family was surprised by after I finished my career, you know, because everyone just thinks, okay, you're a fighter pilot. So what are the fighter pilot stories? And the things that I like to talk about are, are the things that are 
almost opposite, right? Like, okay, yeah, dogfighting another airplane. That's pretty cool. But what's in my mind, even more important is like as a top gun instructor, Hey, guess what? It's not a graduate school for fighter pilots. It's a, it's really a graduate school for leadership and for leaders. Um, and that's kind of like that mental juxtaposition that I've always enjoyed is when, you know, just like, uh, like you said, with civil, civil aviation, the fact that, Hey, you can learn all about a lot about risk management, about life, about safety, et cetera. If you just study airplane crashes, uh, what were the causal factors leading up to them? Uh, why did they occur? You know, there was a, a couple famous crashes where you lost an entire aircraft and hundreds of people because of the fact that they had poor crew resource management. And then of course, that United that led to, in 1979 with the one that crashed in Portland. Yeah, that sounds right. Because um, that was the one with so, the landing gear light bulb. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, right. And so then you got people kind of competing for prominence in the cockpit and and confusing information. And sometimes someone takes like a very passive role. And like you said, in a, in a world full of problems, be the solution. So um, so uh, all those things, you know, I, again, I think I probably tied it up pretty succinctly in the book, but it was you know, the fighter pilot aspect is cool, but it doesn't touch on what it's really all about, which is always teamwork, camaraderie, leadership, you know, and, and just the realities that as a leader, you know, your, your best success in life, kind of like being a dad for your kids is making them more successful than you were, right. Putting them on a pathway to, to exceed your wildest dreams. And my dad told me that as well. When I was growing up, he said, you know, that he had worked really hard to do better than his dad had to give us a better opportunity in life. And he's like, that's, that is your fundamental responsibility as a dad is to always ensure that your kids are able to do more uh, and be better off than you were, and then teach them that that's their responsibility as well. And I liked it because as a, as a boy scout, you know, they always said, leave the campsite better than you found it. Right. So it's a kind of this uh, lifelong mantra of putting service before self. And I think a lot of people, of course, drawn to military service, feel that call to want to, to do something uh, bigger than yourself. But yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know that I have a lot of, you know, there's always great stories that involve being in, a, in an aircraft. I mean, I've seen everything from a, a person killed on our aircraft carrier because someone didn't do their job properly to almost dying in several mid-air collisions to combat operations over Iraq. And they all just have their own unique kind of flavor to them. You actually gave me an idea there as you were talking about that as a Top Gun instructor, if you equate a Top Gun instructor as a father, you take a very high adrenaline environment that you're traveling at Mach 3. You're taking people that probably have egos the size of Mount Everest and putting them in a plane and trying to, you give them a safe place to grow and do extreme things, but also allows them to grow outside their comfort zone, find the control within it, that it's not about just riding it on the edge. It's about finding the right balance within that. But then you're, as an instructor, you're still creating a safe place for them to do that with as safe as possible. You can travel at Mach 3. And that's often what we're trying to do as a dad. You, you want them to explore the edges of life. You don't want them to fall off the edges, but you definitely want them to know where the edges are and you want them to make sure that they're continuing to test them. And that's probably a lot of what you're doing in Top Gun is you're teaching a standard fighter pilot to go beyond what he thought were the limits of his own, what he was capable of, and to really get into that top ability of being a fighter pilot. Yeah. I mean, so I guess, yeah, if you want to put an aviation theme on it, it's expanding your flight envelope, right? So expanding the envelope and you're right. I mean, there's an element where you, whether you're a top gun instructor and you're teaching younger pilots or junior pilots, or you're teaching your own children, right? Where you sit there and say, look, I mean, if you go this far to the extreme, that's dangerous, right? So you're doing something completely indiscriminate in a car, you're using drugs, you're doing something crazy. That's so completely out of bounds. Like you don't go there same way, if you could put yourself in an extremist situation inside of a fighter jet, 
Uh, likewise, though, what you don't want is someone so insular and so insulated that they never seek to explore the boundaries because then you're never going to be able to succeed uh, in this case in a combat environment as a fighter pilot. So yeah, you're right. You have to find that. And it's not even just that you're expanding the boundaries. It's almost like you're teaching someone the correct, ethical, the right ways to explore boundaries, right? Like what is the formula to do that? How do you and I think there are a lot of formulas in life. So what is the successful formula for expand, expanding your capabilities, expanding your boundaries to be successful, you know, through, through a trial and error process. And so what I've always, what I've always seen, and like, like we started off the conversation with a large part of our success is founded upon the fact that the, the larger your network, the greater the diversity of your experiences. I mean, it increases your knowledge base. I'm a huge fan of my kids. Uh, this is probably one of the greatest gifts my wife and I have given our kids is that they read voraciously. So it's not, it's not, uh, it's very common after school is out that if I pop out of the office and go into the living room, you got all, you know, my wife and three kids sitting on the couch, just reading quietly because they've all got this great book that they've buried their nose in. Right. So it's that kind of intellectual curiosity, the hunger to want to, you know, do something productive that I think is very, very fruitful. To put a cherry on that, what you're teaching them is how they see the world is one way but there is always another way to see it. And you only get that through perspective, what we've already talked about, through reading, just reading someone else's story, or even just getting lost in someone else's story. Like if it's, an, it's a fiction story, those are always helped, like just kind of like get the imagination flowing in a big way. But what you also talked about there is something that I have really transformed my life in the last five years. And I wish someone would have told me when I got out in TAPS class was that the amount of opportunity that I feel in my life is going to be directly proportional to the amount of people I talk to daily. Because the more people I talk to, the more perspective I've had, the more people that know me, the more friends I have, the more things that I can I see that I never could see before, like the idea of being a stay-at-home dad, a dadpreneur. These weren't even words in my vocabulary. I didn't even know they existed until someone came into my life that lived this way. And I'm like, oh, that's a great way that I love doing that. And you don't get that unless you continue to seek and just have an extreme curiosity to how the world really works and like what we talked about already, is how we fit into it. Guy, I absolutely loved this episode because one, you're a plain guy and I'm a plain guy, so that just automatically made it better. But the content we dropped today, I'm positive, is going to hit home in a lot of career-minded military dads or even ones that have gotten out and are maybe still in the struggle bus trying to figure out how to come home themselves. What's a parting piece of advice you want to leave dads today from your career and what you're going into? Like, What's a piece that you want to make sure a dad gets out there today? Yeah, I think, you know, it's just the fundamental truth that nothing worthwhile is ever easy, right? I mean, if you care about it, and obviously as dads, you care about your kids, you care about your family, we all want to be successful, however we define that. It's never, there's no get rich quick theme. And that's why I like a lot of the themes we've explored during this conversation, which is uh, like when you said, it, hey, it's a credit card, it's a bank account, you've got to put money into it. If you're if you're taking withdrawals, you got to put money in. There's no get rich quick scheme that's going to suddenly say, if I took out uh, you know, an equivalent of a million dollars, I can just throw it back in in, in one day. Uh, it takes time. It takes deliberate action. It takes thoughtful action. And so that's what I would say. I wish I had a really catchy, snappy phrase or something for you. And I don't. It's just really just the recognition that nothing worthwhile is ever easy. You've got to make that investment. You've got to make the time. You've got to break away. Uh, and sometimes the the most difficult times to do it is when you get really insulated and especially when you are in those big moments of transition. And that's the exact moment that you have to recognize that there's a problem and then be comfortable saying, okay, I've got, I've got to physically step away and make time for the family and, and invest in an area where it's going to have lifelong implications, not just you know a year or two for a job, but 
for the remainder of your life and, and the relationships you're going to have with your kids as they grow older. That reminds me of some advice that I talk about a lot on social media is that what we do on this earth is important, but what we leave behind is 10 times more important. And it's not easy. It's hard every day that ends with why. And you have nothing is more noble than earning the title of father because you're you're creating something that's going to live well beyond our life. And we're only forgotten if people don't remember our name. And our kids are the best chance we have to continue to make a dent in the universe. And I love everything about what you've talked about. And I can't wait to see what you are up to and what your kids do in the future. Hopefully I see your last name in the newspaper for good reasons of how they've gone out and done something really amazing because my dad helped me understand how I fit into the world. And then I had the courage to actually go out and help change it. You bet. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for this opportunity. It's been great talking with you. Thank you. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. If it cut to the core like it did for me, some of the big themes that I got out of this episode were the identity and first transition in the military. Like so many, It's one of the questions I often love asking dads because we often don't acknowledge that first transition. And as we go through that, we often either unpack that like guy, he just felt like a normal guy and he just felt called to serve. That was something that I love always talking about and diving into giving yourself a wider view of the American dream, like his life and the way that he's lived his life and the experience that his kids got, that is something that a military dad is perfectly primed to bring to someone's world. And I'm glad that we talked about it as well. Being a Navy dad, we haven't really dived into being a Navy dad in the podcast too much. And I'm really glad we went there because a Navy dad is a little bit different than all the other branches. Because for a Navy dad, when they're at work, when they're traditionally deployed, it's they're gone. There isn't like this a Marine dad, maybe where he goes to Camp Pendleton every day and he drives back to San Clemente where he's living. It's when you're in the Navy, you are gone for six months, nine months, however long that deployment is. And like he talks about in the podcast episode, your kids just get used to, okay, dad's here. Okay, dad's gone. And that's a hard feeling to process, but at least acknowledging that feeling is something so crucial. If you guys want to check out his book, I put a link in the show notes down there. All of his socials are down there as well. So go ahead and check out Guy and follow him on Facebook and Twitter. He puts out a lot of good stuff. And go ahead and also check out that book, Top Gun, 10 Leadership Traits, Lessons from the Cockpit. Guys, I appreciate every one of you. And I will talk to you guys again on Friday.